Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. Well, as we come into the new year, I'm excited for us to get back to our study through the book of Genesis. So grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you can find that on page 8. Before Advent season, we had covered the first part of the book of Genesis, which is the first 11 chapters, and those chapters cover the beginning of, of everything, the beginnings of, of human history. They tell us important information uh, about creation and about the fall of mankind and the great flood and the, the dispersion of people into different nations with distinct languages. Uh, but in the midst of all that, we saw that the story keeps on moving uh, so that we can get to what Moses really wanted the Israelites to know about. Uh, and if you do the math, uh, then the first 11 chapters cover about 2,000 years of history. Uh, but now the rest of the book of Genesis, the next 39 chapters, are, are only going to zero in on a time frame of about 300 years. Much more detail on much less time. And so while everything in the first part of Genesis was very important information that is, is good for us to know, what happens from this point on is the main focus of the story, uh, of the book of Genesis. And so we could say that the first 11 chapters portrays the devastating effects of sin on the world as it disrupts the created order and it leads to a global flood and, and the uh, division of mankind. And then the rest of the book is about how God begins to work towards redemption of, of everything that has gone wrong. Or we could say that if the first 11 chapters recount the history that is shared by all people, and now the rest of the book is going to record the beginning of the history of God's old covenant people in the nation of Israel. And this morning we're going to read about the beginning of that history and of that redemption as we look at the calling of Abram. And so we're in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As a, as a quick refresher, back in chapter 11, we trace the genealogy of Noah's son Shem all the way down to a man named Terah, and his sons Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran has a son named Lot, and then dies, we would expect, uh, prematurely or unexpectedly. Uh, and then later, Terah and Abram begin a journey uh, to the land of Canaan. Uh, they take Lot with them, but then they settle in, a, in the land of Haran instead. And then Terah dies, which makes Abram the head of the family. Uh, but we also saw that that means that Abram is the head of a family with a dead end, because he and his wife, Sarai, are unable to have children. Well, now as we pick up here in chapter 12, the Lord speaks to Abram, and he calls him to leave everything. 
his home, his community, his extended family, and to journey to a land that he will show him. And right off the bat, as we read this, I think it's difficult for us to appreciate just how crazy this would have been. I hate moving. Uh, from, from growing up, becoming an adult, I lived in at least 10 different places, and, and I have developed a true hatred of everything that is involved with moving. I hate packing everything up. I hate going to, to a new place where I don't know anybody. I hate unpacking everything and having to organize it. I hate moving. But in the modern world, if my family were to move to Montana, then, then we would still be American citizens with rights, and we would still be around people who spoke our language and who had similar customs and ate similar food, and we'd still be able to communicate with friends and family back home, whether it was by telephone or through email or, or nowadays through FaceTime. But in the ancient world, and particularly this early on in history, to move and to leave your local area would put you in another place with different people who don't speak your language, who don't share your customs, and among whom you are vulnerable as an outsider without the protection of the rest of your clan. And so in a lot of ways, what the Lord is calling Abram to do here is completely unheard of. In almost every way possible, God is calling Abram to a completely new life. But in this case, with great risk comes great reward. And the Lord assures Abram that what he will gain by following him far outweighs what he leaves behind. And so in verse 2, the Lord promises him three things, to make him a great nation, to bless him, and to make his name great. And so in making a great nation from Abram, the Lord is, is saying that Abram is going to have a multitude of descendants who will go on to form a, a unique socio-political and even religious people. And so Abram is leaving his people, but the Lord is going to use him to establish a new people, all of his own, who will be great or powerful and of course, this is interesting because the story has already told us that Abram and, and Sarai are unable to have children. And so how do you become a great nation if you don't have any descendants? And that remains to be seen. Then secondly, God promises to bless Abram, which in this case means that the Lord is going to, to providentially order things in Abram's life so that things go well for him and that he is able to flourish in every way. And then finally, the Lord promises to make Abram's name great, which means that Abram will have a worldwide reputation. He will be famous, for, for lack of a better word. And so you may remember back to chapter 11 that the people of Babel wanted to make a name for themselves in, in building the tower, and the Lord prevented that from happening. But now here in chapter 12, uh, the Lord promises to establish a great name for Abram. Now, this is a major offer, but there's actually more here than what we can see in the story. Uh, for us to fully understand and appreciate what's happening here, we need additional insight that is provided to us later on in the Bible. And so if we were to fast forward to Joshua 24, as all of these promises the Lord is making to Abram have been fulfilled as the nation of Israel comes into the promised land, Joshua calls all of the people together and he calls them to be faithful to the Lord because of how faithful the Lord has been to them. And he says to them in verse 2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, 
and they served other gods. So we need to understand that Abram is not in this story because he's a godly person. He's actually an idol worshiper. Okay, he hasn't received this offer from the Lord because he deserves it in any way. Like we saw with Noah back in chapter 4, Abram has found favor in the eyes of the Lord for no other reason than because of God's own gracious purposes as he works out his plan in the world. The Lord has simply chosen to bless Abram, and so he calls him to follow him into the unknown. Now, before we move on, it's important for us to see at the end of verse 2 that Abram's blessing has a greater purpose. It's not simply an end in itself. Right? The Lord says that he is blessing Abram and making his name great so that he will be a blessing to others. In fact, the end of verse 3 says that all the families of the earth will be blessed in him. And so again, going back to chapter 11, as, as the world population has been broken up into various uh, distinct people groups, what God is going to do through Abram is ultimately going to result in blessing for all of those different people, all those different families. And really, this is how God works, always, right? The, the blessings that he provides for his people are always expected to be used by us in order to bless others as we steward our resources for his kingdom. Right, whether it's our time or our finances or our skills and abilities, the Lord blesses us so that we can bless others and then point them to him in the process. So Abraham is being blessed in order to be a blessing. But we also need to see the condition in the first part of verse 3. The Lord tells Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And so in other words, the way that people relate to Abram from this point forward is going to determine how God relates to them. The, the, the way that someone relates to Abram and, and his descendants by extension is going to determine how God relates to them. So in essence, the Lord is creating a definite boundary here but between what we've been looking at as the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. It's, it's all been kind of fuzzy for these first 11 chapters, but from now on, there's going to be a clear distinction between those who are among the people of God and those who are not. Right? Abram and his descendants are going to embody the seed of the woman through whom God is at work to redeem the world, and those who are outside and who oppose them are the seed of the serpent. And so the Lord has given Abram a demanding and rewarding call with promises of, of tremendous blessing. And we'll see how Abram responds as we pick up again, beginning in verse 4. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And so as we pick up again in verse 4, Abram goes, just as the Lord has instructed him to, taking his nephew Lot along with him. Now, now the text is very straightforward. It doesn't make a big deal about this, but you'll remember that back in our Advent series, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we saw that this was nothing less than an act of faith on Abram's part. 
Right? Abram is trading everything he has ever known for something that he knows absolutely nothing about, except for the fact that the Lord has called him to do it and has promised to bless him as he does. Right? But he goes, and the fact that he goes demonstrates that he believes what God has told him. Now, we also see that Abram is 75 years old at this time, and that's not just an incidental detail. This plots the story on a timeline that's going to be very significant as we go forward. All right, so as we begin, Abram is already 75 years old, so you just keep that in the back of your mind uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But at 75, Abram loads up Sarai and Lot, along with all their possessions, and also what the text says is, is all the people they had acquired in Haran. And it's not entirely clear who those people are. It's possible that it could be referring to servants or other employees that Abram has, or some people have suggested that as the Lord has revealed himself to Abram and has called him into a relationship with himself, Abram has begun sharing his new faith with other people, and and some of those other people have turned to the Lord also and who are now going to go with him. But whoever it is, they all load up together, and they begin the journey to the land of Canaan to find what God has for them. In verse 6, Abram arrives in the town of Shechem and comes to a place known as the Oak of Moreh. And so to zoom out, just just briefly, to give you a picture uh, of what's going on, we've got a map that we're going to put up on the screen uh, that shows the progression of the story up to this point. And so as you look at the map, it will be appearing any time now on the screens to my right and to my left that are going to show. There it is. Uh, You can see up at the top at number one, that's the region of Ararat, which is where the, the ark that Noah and his family was on came to rest. And so from there, people migrated down to number two, which is Babylon, which is where the Tower of Babel was. And then once all the peoples of the earth were scattered from there, Abram's clan specifically go further down to number three, which is the the city of Ur. And then as we read about last time in chapter 11, Terah takes Abram and Lot, and they make their journey up to number four, which is the land of Haran. And now, as we're reading about this morning, the Lord has led Abram all the way down to Shechem, which is number five, which is in the heart of the land of Canaan. And now that Abram has arrived at his destination, we'll see what happens next as we pick up again, beginning in verse seven. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So Abram has made his way to Canaan. And now in verse 7, the Lord appears to him. So previously the Lord has spoken to Abram, but but now he appears in some kind of visual way, although we don't know exactly what it looks like. But as he appears, the Lord promises to give Abram this land, or he promises to give this land to his offspring. The Lord is going to make a great nation from Abram, and this is where they're going to live, this, this place that the Lord has brought him to. Now, we just read that the land is currently inhabited by the Canaanites, uh, which is a a collection of of several different groups of people uh, who all descend from Noah's wicked son, Ham. 
Uh, but they're not going to be here forever because the Lord is going to give this territory to Abram and his offspring. Of course, we're reminded again that Abram doesn't have any offspring, can't have any offspring, and so where this offspring is going to come from remains to be seen. Nevertheless, in response to the Lord's words, Abram builds an altar there in Shechem and worships the Lord. Now, just as a side note, uh, it has been suggested, and I, I think that there is something to it, that all three elements of the curse back in Genesis chapter 3 are being addressed through Abram. And so you'll, you'll remember that in response to Adam and Eve's sin, uh, the Lord cursed the earth, the, the land. He cursed the ground. And then he declared that, that childbearing for women would be difficult and painful. And then he cursed the serpent and proclaimed enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman. And now here, Abram is promised land. The Lord is going to give him a specific plot of, of the land that has been cursed. He has promised many, many descendants, although Sarah or Sarai is experiencing uh, the, the effects of the curse and being unable to bear children. And now he has promised to bless those who bless Abram and to curse, like the serpent, those who dishonor him. And so he promises blessing for his allies and cursing for his enemies. And so I do think that we are to understand that what God is doing with Abram here is, is directly related to the salvation he has promised to bring. It is going to be through Abraham and his offspring uh, that the promises God is making are going to come to pass. And so the Lord has brought Abram to the land of his future descendants. Uh, but while this is the future home of his people, it's not his home yet. Right? For now, he's still in other people's territory. And so he can stay in a particular place for a certain amount of time, but then he needs to move on somewhere else. And so in verse 8, Abram relocates to the hill country on the other side uh, of Bethel. And again, he builds an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, you may remember that to call on the name of the Lord can mean uh, to pray, it can mean to worship, and it can also mean, in some cases, to proclaim a message about the Lord. And it's not entirely clear uh, which meaning is, is at play here. Some people think that Abram is worshiping. Uh, some think that he's actually proclaiming who the Lord is to these Canaanite people uh, who don't know him. But in my view, uh, I think that both of these meanings uh, are possible. If, if Abram is in the middle of, of pagan territory and he's building an altar for worship in public view, then he's certainly worshiping, but it's also inevitable that, that all of these Canaanite people are going to see him worshiping and testifying to the one true God who they don't know. And, and so I think that, that both of those senses are probably included here. And then verse 9 tells us that he continued his journey by going toward the Negev Desert, which is moving further south toward Egypt, and which sets the, the stage for what we're going to see when we come back next week. So in our passage this morning, the Lord calls Abram to leave his home and journey to the land of Canaan, where he promises to bless him at, despite some significant obstacles. And this is really one of the most important turning points in the entire Bible, and, and really of all time for that matter. The Lord has promised to bring salvation through the seed of the woman, and this is now the first major step towards accomplishing and fulfilling that promise. And really beyond that, in many ways, what happens here in these nine verses 
sets things in motion that continue to play out over the course of human history and, and even uh, are playing out now around us uh, in the world today. Of course, as we read this passage, we have an advantage that Moses and the Israelites did not have, and that we know how these promises play out over the big picture. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul demonstrates that these promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is the offspring of Abram, through whom all of the nations, all of the people of the earth, will be blessed as he has made God's salvation available by dying on the cross and rising again in victory over sin and death. And so we need to understand because of this that like Abram, now the way that a person relates to Jesus as the fulfillment determines how God will relate to them. The way that a person relates to Jesus is what determines how God relates to them. Those who embrace Jesus as the fulfillment by faith, as the Messiah, will be blessed by God with salvation. Those who reject and oppose him will receive God's curse in judgment. And so, if we're here this morning and you've not turned to Jesus, please recognize that he is the fulfillment of God's promises of salvation and the only way that we can be saved. But then for those of us who have believed in Christ, we should see that in many ways, what happens in this passage is exactly what happens in our own lives when we come to faith in Christ. It may not be exactly this dramatic, but but this is how God works in each of our lives. None of us deserved salvation. In fact, we deserved judgment. And yet the Lord has revealed himself to us in the gospel, and he has called us to believe and follow him. And again, while it might not be quite this dramatic, the Lord calls all of us to live a life of faith, to believe his word, and to to pursue obedience to him despite all obstacles of sin or suffering as we look to the fulfillment of his promises to us, as we wait for him to bring us into the promised land. And so this morning, as we start this new section of Genesis, may we have faith like Abraham, and follow the Lord wherever he leads us as we stand upon the promises of God. Let's pray together. Lord, it's good to get back into our study through Genesis, and as we come to this significant pivot point in Scripture, Lord, I I pray that we would have uh, understanding of everything that you are doing in this passage through calling Abram. Uh, Father, we thank you for the fact that we do have the full picture, that we've seen how the promises given to Abram here have, have been fulfilled ultimately through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us would entrust ourselves to him, recognizing that there's nothing that we can do on our own to, to deserve salvation or to make ourselves right with you, but that you have done everything that can and needs to be done through Jesus. Father, I pray that that each of us would move forward to live that life of faith. Lord, trusting your word, believing your promises, and pursuing obedience to you in light of that. And so, Father, I pray that, that, again, individually and as a church, you would continue to be at work among us, that, Father, we would glorify you in every way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.